Thank you for coming back. Not everyone did, but most of you did. And uh, I think this is going to be the most helpful and important part of this. Do you have any questions about how to pray through a passage of Scripture? Okay, you're about to do this by yourself. Now do you have any questions about how to do this? Okay, my first question here, is there anyone who does not have a Bible with them? Raise your hand, please. I mean, no sharing. Couples, husband and wife cannot share, so everyone, all right. People going around here. Lawrence Taylor is coming around. Well, here's some up here, LT. We need Every individual needs a Bible. Anyone else? Please raise your hand. We have a few left. Here we go. Great. All right, you can be uh, finding one of the Psalms that you want to pray through. Uh, Psalms of the day, you know, 20, 50, 80, 110, 140 are... Maybe just a favorite. Uh, don't spend more than 30 seconds trying to find one. If you're really seeking God's will about something, you might pray through Psalm 25. Um, you may have another favorite that you just go to. Find one that looks like it would be, you know, as I said, they're not all equally easy to pray through. 23rd Psalm is a very easy one. The imprecatory Psalms are not as easy. Find one as you scan through it you think it would be easy to pray through. <clears throat> and <clears throat> when we start, I will give you the freedom, if you want to, to spread out. There's lots of room, you know, to come up here, go behind the barrier there, somewhere else. Maybe even if there's another room in the building you get too quickly that you know. There's, I mean, over here people are cleaning up and so forth, but if there's a room you can get to, you can have a little more isolation if you want to go outside. Um, but be able to get immediately into prayer. Don't wander around looking for a place. Uh, most of you would choose to sit right where you are, and that's fine. I've done this with a thousand people sitting side by side in the same room, and works fine. Everyone's quiet. Everyone's concentrating. Uh, so when I say go, if you need to spread out, do that. But I'm going to ask two things. Number one, there'll be no talking or no whispering to one another as we're moving around or getting started so we can immediately get focused and get into prayer. And that's the second thing. Get into prayer then as, as quickly as possible. If you do um, uh, move around into another place, let me ask you to be uh, back in your seat in um, ten minutes from right now. Ten minutes from right now. So any question? Okay. Ready? Break. Well, I hate to interrupt people when they're praying. How did it go? How did it go? Huh? Why was it good? It's good to meditate on this word while you're praying. It feels like you really are talking with God. Ah. He said it feels like you are really talking with God. Did it seem more like a real conversation with a real person to you? And isn't that the way prayer ought to be? 
This helps make it a real conversation with a real person. But we're not imagining voices. We're not imagining God saying things to us. This is God's word, isn't it? This is God speaking with us. But unlike what we normally do in prayer, where we feel as though whatever's going to be said in this encounter with God, I've got to say it all. And since I don't, can't think of new ways to talk about the same things, I'll just say the same old things about the same old things. It's not that kind of conversation anymore. Let God initiate the conversation. And today, perhaps, he wants to talk about being your shepherd. So you let him start that conversation, and then you respond. Thank you, Lord, that you are my shepherd. You're a good shepherd. Then when you've said everything you want to say, like in a real conversation with a real person, what do you do at that point? You listen. You let the other person speak. So you go back and says, shall not want. Thank you, Lord, that I've never been in want. All that I have and all that I am is from you. And then when you've said what you want to say on that matter, you let the other person speak, pick up the conversation. And again, this is God speaking. Somehow we've gotten the idea that when we talk with God, we've got to come up with everything that's going to be said. You are freed from that burden. You don't have to think of anything. I mean, you, you have the freedom, certainly, to let your request be made known to God, but you don't, have, you don't have the burden of, okay, what are we going to talk about today? Well, since I don't have the time or creative energy to think of something new, and since I want to talk about the same things, my life, bring that before God, I'll say the same old things. You're delivered from that. Don't you hate it when you, you feel like you have to carry the entire burden of every conversation? Husbands, protect your ribs, you know, if your wife is beside but we've all been there, right? We all hate that. I mean, as pastor, I used to visit with people who had visited our church. And I'd say, well, I understand you visited with us Sunday. Yeah. Well, good. Uh, glad you were with us. Um, hope you enjoyed being with us. Yeah. Well, good. Uh like to answer any questions you have about the church, anything I can tell you at all. No. It's like, come on, man, help me out, you know. <laughs> Carry part of this conversation. Somehow, we've gotten into our heads, that's the way it is when we talk with God. Anything's going to be said, we've got to say it. God is just sitting there, you know, like this. And we've got to come up with a whole conversation. You're delivered from that. Isn't that good news? Furthermore, you don't have to come up with anything. Let God initiate the conversation. Respond to what he initiates. When you've said everything you want to say, relax. Let him carry the conversation. Let him take it where he wants to go with that next. I don't know who would be the one person in all the world if, if you could have a dream conversation, so to speak. If you could have one hour to talk with anyone in the world, ask any questions you want, have any kind of conversation. I don't know who that would be, but just in your mind, imagine who that would be. And I, what if I said, guess what? Great news. Tomorrow morning, you get to have one hour conversation with this person. Well, tonight you can hardly sleep because of anticipation. And tomorrow, it is everything you imagined it would be. 
And I said, guess what? Good news. You get to have another conversation with that person on Monday. Now, the only, the only caveat is both of you have to say exactly the same thing you said on Sunday. Well, okay. <laughs> I mean, there, you might pick up a few things on Monday that, you know, you just didn't, re- didn't register with you on Sunday, but you'd enjoy it. You'd look forward to it. But what if you had to have that same conversation every day for the rest of your natural life? How long would it be before you'd rather die than have that conversation again? Whereas tonight, you can hardly sleep with anticipation. It can be that way even in talking with God. You can be talking to the most fascinating person in the universe about the most important things in your life and be bored to death. Because you don't love God? No. Because you don't care about what you're praying about? No. It's not you. It's your method. If you say the same old things about the same old things, you're going to be bored to death even talking to God about your own life. But the problem is not you. It's your method. But you don't have to find the solution. God has already done that. Just let him initiate the conversation and you simply respond. Isn't that easy? Anybody can do that. Someone else. How'd it go? How'd it go? Come on, I know it's after lunch, but somebody, yeah. The pressure was off. The pressure was off. You didn't have to try to think about what to say next. It just kind of flowed. Yeah, you didn't have to think about what to say next. It just kind of flowed. Good. Someone else, how'd it go? Yes. Ah, very good. The Bible says we must pray. First John 5, we must pray in accordance with His will or He will not hear us. Is there any better way to know that you're praying the will of God than to pray the Word of God? Now, that doesn't mean we can't misunder, you know, misinterpret or misapply uh, the Word of God in praying. But nevertheless, do you have any greater assurance you're praying the will of God than to pray the Word of God? All right, someone else, how'd it go? Yes. I'm sorry? Uh, all right, so it's kind of upsetting when you said the time's up. You actually have about 11 minutes. You know, compare that to what we said earlier today, average person, five minutes, seven minutes a day, 11 minutes. And you could have kept going, couldn't you? You just keep turning the page if necessary. And think about it. This is right after lunch in a warm room. And you could have kept praying. And it was so simple, wasn't it? You won't need notes to remember how to do this again, will you? It's like riding a bicycle. You'll never forget how to do that. Someone else, how'd it go? Yeah. Now you said the passage spoke right to the situation he's in right now. I bet there are many of you here who could testify to that. And that's why if you'll quickly scan five Psalms and then find the one that seems to do that, just appeals to you that day, just seems somehow to speak to the situation, or for whatever reason, you're drawn to that one. It's uncanny how something in that psalm will put into expression something that's in your heart. Because who said the entire range of human emotions is reflected in the psalms. Someone else? Yes. Okay, she said... 
All right, she said it caused her to be more thankful than she normally is and to pray in, in ways and directions she didn't normally go. Let me ask you, don't fear raising your hands. I'm not going to call on you. But how many of you found yourself praying about things you normally would not think to pray about? Can I see your hands? Seems to be just about everybody. Yeah, you pray through passages of Scripture, you'll find yourself praying about things you normally would never think to pray about. I mean, if you had a prayer list as big as the Omaha phone directory, you wouldn't think to put that in there. Because, you know, God's mind, God's Word is so much broader than our own perspective on things. Now, let me just parenthetically put in here about uh, prayer lists. I've done it both ways, use a prayer list, not use a prayer list. Uh, most of the time, I just let the text suggest my prayer list for that day. But if you want to incorporate a prayer list, you can easily do that. You've got your prayer list over here, and over here's your Bible. The Lord is my shepherd. Who over here needs shepherding? I shall not want. Who on my list is in want? So you can incorporate that. But if you decide to go the route I do normally, you pray through a passage, you just let that suggest your prayer list, but you discover that you're not praying for some situations or people you regularly want to, then use a prayer list. Someone else, how'd it go? <clears throat> Someone else. How'd it go? Very good. Let the people's praise, let all the people's praise you. Find himself praying. For unreached people groups and for every tongue, tribe, nation of people. So you, you might find yourself praying like that, things you normally wouldn't think to pray for. Let me ask you to raise your hands on this, though. How many of you find yourself praying about the things also that you normally do want to pray for regularly? Let me see your hands. Again, everybody. See, that's the amazing thing about this. You'll pray about things you normally would not, and yet you will pray about the things, the big six things up there. Because those are the great loves of your life. But here's the difference and the freshness of it. Let me illustrate it this way. Because virtually any routine prayer that this works with, uh, at the seminary, we begin every class with scripture reading and prayer. I, I teach them this in the very first class. And then I model this by, uh, at the beginning of class, reading from one of the Psalms of the day and then praying from that. But it's the same prayer every class. Lord, bless the class. How many different ways can you think of to pray, Lord, bless the class? But if, it's, if I'm praying that through Psalm 23, it comes across as, Lord, please shepherd us in this class today. If it's from Psalm 139, Lord, we sense your presence in Norton 102 today and recognize that you are Lord and the teacher in this place. If it's from Psalm 51, it's, Lord, please forgive us for not always applying our minds to our studies as we ought. It's the same prayer. It's bless the class. But coming through a different psalm every day, it's different. It's fresh. So that's why this works for any routine prayer, the table blessing. And almost any prayer, I mean, if you just suddenly get called on to pray, if I just said right now, please... Stand and pray for us. I mean, almost any verse that pops into your head, use that as the entry point into your prayer. And it can take the most routine prayer and turn it into one that is fresh and biblical. Someone else, how'd it go? 
probably more God-centered than it would have been otherwise. Yeah, how many of you found it that way? He said more God-centered than usual. Find it that way? Yeah, right. it's not just, Lord, here I am again with my list and things I'm concerned about. Well, when you pray the Psalms, remember, this is God revealing to us how he wants to be approached, how he wants to be praised. And so you'll find yourself in those, some pray, prayers that are just, some Psalms that are just praises. Which reminds me, have you, uh, uh, I'm sure many of you have, and I, I've even taught it myself, the old acrostic for prayer, the ACTS. As an outline for prayer, start, you know, with adoration or praise. Go on to confession, then thanksgiving and supplication. Well, that's fine as far as it goes. But, you know, after a while, that becomes the same old thing. Okay, I'm going to start with adoration. Okay, how am I going to adore the Lord today? Well, I guess I'll adore him the same way I did yesterday. You know, because I can think of new ways to do that. Guess what? You don't have to come up with new ways to adore the Lord. He has given us 150 psalms worth of how to adore the Lord. So you don't have to come up with that. He's told us how he wants to be praised. And it's going to be far more God-centered. And sometimes it will be primarily thanksgiving. But some of these, they start out, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. That's how it starts out. That's not adoration. It's down to number three on the list. Can you start with number three on the list? Is that okay? How do we know it's okay? God wrote it. He can mess up the list if he wants, right? (laughs) And I think most of the time you'll find all of those elements when you pray through a psalm. They'll all be there in most cases. Anyone else? Yes. I'm sorry? It's more difficult to get distracted, he said. Because you've got something to go back to. When you've said all that you want to say in response to a text and your mind begins to wonder, now you've got something to come back to, the very next verse. Whereas before, even in five minutes or seven minutes, you suddenly go, who? <laughs> where was I? You know, I hadn't been thinking about God for the last several minutes. You know, now, now where was I? We come back to that mental script in our head and pick it up and... and Start going through that mental script again, but our mind quickly wanders away because it's so routine. We've said it so many times. You can almost be praying without even thinking. And we know that's not right, but we don't know what else to do. Anyone else? Yeah. It forces you to meditate on his word. Yeah. Is that, you remember when we went through the first hour, I said this is a method of meditation. One of the reasons I love praying through scripture is it's not only a method of prayer, but a method of meditation. On Scripture, because you're looking at it, thinking about it, praying about it, look at it again and pray some more. Normally, when I do this material, the order is reversed. I normally spend maybe a couple hours Friday night on praying through Scripture, which instead I've had a couple of hours this afternoon. And then Saturday morning, it's like four hours on praying through Scripture. I mean, meditation on Scripture. And when we get to that method of meditation being praying through Scripture, here's the way I usually illustrate that. By then, it's around 11 o'clock or so on a Saturday morning. And I'll say, how many of you can remember one of the verses that you prayed through last night. In fact, let me ask you that right now. I mean, you don't have to even remember and say, what psalm was it? You don't have to know that. You just know you could tell me uh, a verse or part of a verse that you prayed through. I'm not going to call on you, so don't worry. Let me see your hands. If you could right now say, you know, one of those verses was, the Lord is my shepherd or something like that. Let me see your hand. Okay, it's virtually everybody. Virtually everybody. 
Let me just call on volunteers now. You don't have to tell me anything else. We just call out the phrase of the word. The Lord is my shepherd. Something like that. Do that. Just a few of you. All right. Children should be like olive plants. Somebody else. Come on. I will extol you, O Lord. Someone else. Teach me your path. Someone else. I waited patiently for the Lord. Someone else. You don't have to get it perfectly. We're perfect. Okay. When I lie down, when I rise up. Someone else. Yeah, tear you to pieces. And yours, I'm sorry? Let all the nations praise him. Very good. He mentioned his over here. Similar one. Someone else. Come on. Lord is my stronghold. Do not give the wicked the desires of their heart. Good, Joe. You're, yeah. He's Joe. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Now, do you, did you guys try to memorize that? Did you try to memorize that? But you did. And I will do that 11 o'clock on Saturday morning. People will still have it from the night before. From 9 o'clock on Friday night. And I'll say the same thing. How many tried to memorize that? Well, nobody. Here you are, 14 hours later. You still got it. You've slept since then. You, you went through it on the tiredest time of the week, late on Friday night. You didn't know you were going to have a pop quiz the next morning. You actually enjoyed it. You spent how long? On that, you can ask yourself, that verse you just had come to mind, how long did you spend on that one verse? Probably no more than a minute or two, right? Because you went through much of the psalm. That was just one verse. So think about that. Even though we just did it a few minutes ago. We finished this about 20 minutes ago. Most of our time, our testimony is, I close it, I don't remember a thing I've read. Well, at the very least, here you have it 20 minutes later. And what did you do? Nothing. Nothing special. But if you've got it 20 minutes later, driving home, you should be able to bring it back. Tonight, you should be able to bring it back. You wake up in the middle of the night, you should be able to say, what was that verse I prayed through this afternoon? Oh, yeah. That's how you meditate day and night. Once during the day, you absorb some of God's word in such a way you can recall it later. So let's revert to meditation here just for a moment. Think about that. The verse that you just had come to mind, you spent no more than one or two minutes on it. And all you did was pray about it. And it was easy. You actually enjoyed it. So not only can you meditate on Scripture, you've done it. Not only can you remember it so you can think about it day and night, you've already proven you can. See, it's simple. It's got to be. It's got to be doable by all of God's children. Without special effort, no assembly required, no tools needed, you did it. You've got to be able to do it if it's required of all of God's children. So I love praying through Scripture. It's not only a method of prayer, it's also a method of meditation on Scripture. Remember we said if you only have ten minutes, read for five minutes, meditate for five minutes, you read for five minutes, pray about something you you read, or go to one of the Psalms for five minutes, you're going to come away with something you can think on day and night. Ten minutes. Easy. Enjoyable. You can do this. You did do it. Anyone else? Comment.
question on that. Well, if you ever teach this, you may not have two hours, as I do, and I'm not quite through, but if you ever teach this, you may not have but 30 minutes in a class somewhere. But there are two things you must do if you ever teach this to anybody else. First, and most importantly, give them an opportunity to try it right then. Before they leave, right then. Just like I gave you that 10 minutes to try it. Otherwise... People will walk out saying, that's a great idea. I'll have to try that someday. And they never will. But now that you've tried it for ten minutes, some of you are hooked. And you'll never again pray the same the rest of your life. You'll never again say the same old things about the same old things. And you won't need notes to have to remember how to do it, will you? It's the simplest thing in the world. You just open it up, talk to God about what you read. Give them a chance to do it right then. Second thing, give opportunity for some feedback. Because not only can you teach from what has been said, because I always get the very same comments. It's more God-centered. It's like a real conversation with a real person. I could have kept going and so forth. But there's the testimonial value. It's one thing for me to stand up here and teach on it. I mean, you flew me all the way in here from Louisville, you know, to talk about it. I'm supposed to say good things about it. But when your friends, your fellow church members, testify to the fresh power of it in their experience, there's an additional benefit to that and some you know there's always a few in the group that that don't have as successful a time as some of the others or in a lot of groups they already got these guys like this in the back you know they they, they ain't gonna pray i ain't gonna pray he can't make me pray no preacher's supposed to make somebody pray and they actually start getting mad about it and they get proud of the fact they're not praying while everybody else in church is praying because they're not gonna be forced to pray you shouldn't be forced to pray they're sitting there like this you know while everyone else is praying and then the, you have these testimonies. And they, see, they, they're, they're, they're mad at me. But they hear their fellow church members talking about, well, that's like a real conversation with God. Or this or that. And they go, well, maybe there's something to this. Because they believe you, see. They know you. They don't believe me. You know, that's what I'm here to do. So, you know, but you're not here to have to do that. So give them a chance to try it and give opportunity for feedback. There's a testimonial value that's very important. And furthermore, you can teach from those testimonies as well. So what have we learned here? We've learned that when we pray, we tend to say the same old things about the same old things, the same old gray colorless prayers about the same things. Let's say this prayer request is um, your children, your grandchildren, your work, whatever you want that to be. And I think we're getting that up here momentarily. There we go. So we usually come at it saying the same old things about the same old things. But now we've learned we can come at the same prayer request instead of the same old ways. We can come at it brand new ways. If you pray for your children, the 23rd Psalm, there's something about saying, Lord, please shepherd my children. That enlivens the prayer. Simply using not only fresh language, though that alone would be enough, but using biblical language. Something about asking God to shepherd your children just energizes 
that prayer in fresh, imaginative ways. So it's the same prayer. You know, it's still the same things. So it's not praying about the same things that's the problem. It's saying the same old things. To pray the same things, but through fresh filters makes a big difference. And tomorrow you pray for your children, pray that they will manifest 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. The next day you might pray your children would become meditators on the Word of God. It's not a wonderful thing to pray for your children, but would you ever pray that if you didn't pray through Psalm 1? Next day you may pray they'll manifest the fruit of the Spirit. Next day you may pray they would sense the presence of God wherever they go that day. It's the same prayer, bless my children, but it's different every day. And the freshness of that enlivens your prayer. But you have the confidence that not only are you just praying differently than you've ever prayed in your life, but you're praying the very words of God, words that have a supernatural quality to them. Now, you have a handout, I think, on the very top of your handouts about praying through Scripture with a group. I'm just going to spend a moment on this. Most important thing to know here is don't ever try this with a group unless everyone in the group has tried this individually. If I tried to get us to pray through Scripture as a group 45 minutes ago, it would have been a disaster. Group prayer is always more difficult than individual prayer in most cases. So don't dare try to get people to pray through Scripture in a group until you know they're, they're confident that they can do it individually. They know what you're talking about. They've had some experience. Now, this group may be anything from a large, you know, church-wide prayer meeting, or small group, even a family. Um, if I had the time, I'd love to talk about it. That's a great burden of mine right now is family worship. The most recent book I've written is a little 64-page thing on family worship. But knowing that some men won't read even a 64-page book, I preach it. On a CD, uh, and there's a study guide you can print off of the CD and an outline. Uh, but I've come greatly burdened. I'm in a different church just about every Sunday, and I'm confident that in most of our best churches, in most of the best churches, most of the best men in the best churches aren't even praying with their wives, much less spending 10 minutes in family worship. So uh, I've got that out there. But this is something, uh, your group, maybe your family even, time of family worship. Here is how you can pray through Scripture with a group. The other thing I want you to write on this, I want you to put by these three bullet points, good, better, and best. Good, better, and best. This first one is good. It's not the best. One way is to assign a verse to everyone in your group. So if this is my small group or family, I say, okay, you take the first verse, you take the second verse, you take the third verse, fourth verse, you take the fifth verse. Okay, now let's pray. And we get started in scoring. Every person's taking their verse, but we get to him, and his verse is, Lord, dash your children's heads against the rock and smash their teeth in the mouth. And he doesn't know what to say. So it can work well, but it can backfire. A little better way is this. <clears throat> Read the psalm aloud, dad, small group leader, whomever, or... Have each person read it silently, the way I used to do this on our church sometimes on Wednesday night. I'd say, okay, here are the Psalms of the day. And I've I've already gone through all five of them, and I I know that two of them aren't too easy to pray from. So I'll say, go through uh, these, look at one of these three. Or look at these four. Pick one. Read through it. And then I sit down, I give everyone a chance, give them enough time to read through their psalm. And then I'll get up and say, okay, I want as many as you who are willing to pray, beginning with one of the verses that stood out to you from that song. So let's pray. So just 
all over. People pray. They start out, they'll read that verse, and then they'll pray. That verse becomes their diving board into prayer. It works until they kind of get off the diving board, and then it can begin to sound like the same old things about the same old things. So it can work. Sometimes it doesn't work too well. Perhaps the best method is this. Read the psalm, then you, as the prayer leader, call out one at a time as needed the verses or phrases you think are the most conducive to prayer. You're picking and choosing. You're picking the verses or the phrases that are easy for just about anybody to pray from. And you're passing over those verses that would be difficult for a lot of people to pray from. So you consider your group, the common denominator, and and you just throw out, as needed, the verses that are most conducive to prayer. So if you were my group, and I'd say, okay, let's pray, and I would throw out, the Lord is my shepherd. And see who picks up on that. And after it's been quiet for a while, I'll throw out the next line. I shall not want. See who picks up on that starts praying. Now, the benefit of, of something like this with a group is what we often do is we'll, we'll take prayer requests and say, okay, uh, we've got uh, uh, John's lost his job. Pray for him. Uh, we're going to pray for Mary, who is having cancer surgery uh, tomorrow and so forth. So, okay, let's pray. And finally, someone begins to pray for John. And they pray around the world for John. Everything you could be thought of. So after they've prayed for John, anyone else who wants to pray for John, it would be redundant. They've already said everything. Plus, uh, it's been a long prayer. Maybe it's at night, people are tired, and no one else prays for John. Then they pray for Mary, and they pray around the world for Mary. But basically, it's the same prayer they prayed for the person having surgery last week. So by the time it's over, you've got a big group of people, and two people have prayed. But with this third one I've mentioned here, if I said, the Lord is my shepherd, someone might say, Lord, please shepherd John to find a new job. And maybe not much more than that. And someone else says, Lord, please shepherd Mary by caring for her through the medical personnel, through our church family. And then when it's quiet, my throat, I shall not want. Someone says, Lord, John is going to be in want if he doesn't have a job. You've told him it's his job to provide for his family. But, Lord, you must provide the job or he'll be in want. Someone else prays, Lord, Mary doesn't have insurance. And she's going to be in want without your provision. And you just continue like that with the result that you may have several people pray. The prayers are shorter to the point, so people are a little more alert. They're more biblically to the point, And you've got a lot more people pray than just a couple of them. <clears throat> so a, brief, a few brief insights about praying through Scripture with a group. I have my students read the life of George Mueller. Many would consider him the greatest man of prayer and faith since the days of the New Testament. He lived almost all of the 1800s in Bristol, England. He had four large influential ministries, but he's best known for his orphanages in a time in Dickensian England where he would have, uh, the orphans would have been street urchins. He would take them in, feed them, clothe them, house them, educate them, never making his needs known to anyone except to God in prayer and by implication to others when he would 
put out an annual report at the end of the year showing how God had provided and, and the great stories how the money had been used. So they knew by application he would take uh, money and that they always had needs, but he didn't advertise those. George Mueller had over 50,000 specific recorded answers to prayer in his journals, 30,000 of which he said were answered the same day or the same hour that he prayed them. That's a thousand a year. That's like three a day for 30 years. Um, And there's some other... Oh, yeah, God funneled over half a billion dollars in today's money through his hands, just through prayer. But Mueller said that for 10 years into his life of faith, not when he's a nobody, but for 10 years he's already known as the great man of prayer and faith. Spurgeon is supporting his ministry and so forth. He's all known all over the world, this great man of prayer and faith. He said that for 10 years... He would get up in the morning, and his habit was after getting dressed, he would pray until breakfast. But it sometimes took him half an hour to an hour before he really got into the spirit of prayer. And only then, he said, did I really begin to pray. So he would try to pray. You ever done that? You just try to pray. What do we do? Five minutes, seven minutes? But for 30 minutes, he would keep it up for an hour because just out of sheer duty and obligation, he says, I'm going to pray. God wants me to pray. I will pray. And he would just keep it up until he finally felt like praying. Sort of like trying to crank an old lawnmower, you know. That was his heart. And finally, okay, all right, now. I'm ready to pray now. 30 minutes, an hour. But now I'm ready to pray. Five minutes, we do seven minutes, but he would stick it out. That's the way he said it was for him for ten years until he made one slight alteration in the way he prayed. And what do you think it was? He started praying through Scripture. And he said, after that, I scarcely ever suffered anymore in this way. They had eventually five huge orphan houses on the immense grounds there and there's this low brick wall all along the perimeter of orphan house number three where his quarters were and his habit was to walk behind that brick wall and pray through a passage of scripture then he said it got to be people would come out to watch the great man of prayer pray well that gave him the willies just like it would you you know so he had them build the wall real tall he would walk behind this wall and pray and he said once i started praying like that he said i never suffered with that old problem anymore. You wake up in the morning, you don't feel like praying. Well, if George Mueller didn't feel like praying, don't be surprised if you don't. Okay? Cheer up. You're normal. Spurgeon, that great British Baptist preacher of the same time frame, said somewhere, we ought to pray when we feel like it. Well, I argued at the beginning, we don't pray because we don't feel like it. Spurgeon said we ought to pray when we feel like it because it would be terrible to miss such an opportunity. But he went on to say, and we should pray when we don't feel like it because it would be terrible to remain in such a condition. Why can't I think of things like that? Spurgeon was genius. Well, we don't feel like praying. You get up at 6.30, you go to pray. You don't feel like praying. You know why? You're sleepy. 
You haven't been thinking about God and the things of God for the last six or seven hours. You've been dead to the world. We don't wake up with our hearts just instantly hot for God and the things of God. George Mueller didn't feel that way. Don't be surprised if you don't. The good news is we're not subject to those feelings. Again, God said to Jeremiah, is not my word like a hammer and a fire? You wake up and your heart is cold as ice. The good news is you can take the fire of God's word and plunge it into your cold heart. So that by 632, just like by 125 today, you feel like praying. Yeah, you wake up, you don't feel like praying. That's normal. Good news is you can do something about it. It's easy. Well, in closing, I'd like for you to turn to Acts chapter 4. And while you're doing that, I'm going to tell you about these other two passages. On the cross, as you know, Jesus said only seven things. He was in horrible agony. He was dehydrated. And in order to speak, he had to push up on the spike in his feet to get enough breath to speak out. And then he would sink back down. So when you add it all up, that just nearly dying before he was put on the cross, the dehydration after that, the sheer pain of having to push up to get enough breath, made his statements very short. Of course, as you know, they often died by asphyxiation on the cross. If they didn't die by a certain time, they'd go break their legs like they did the thieves on either side of Jesus. So they couldn't push up and breathe. <clears throat> but Jesus would push up, speak very briefly. But the longest thing he said was, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is the first verse of Psalm 22. Which is prophetic about what? The crucifixion. There are more details about the physical aspects of crucifixion in Psalm 22 than all the Gospels combined. Two of the Gospels simply say they took him and crucified him and then go on. Psalm 22 talks about my tongue cleaves to my jaws. All my bones are out of joint. They would often come out of joint when they would fall down into place there. I'm surrounded by dogs. All the people who were snipping and sniping at him at the foot of the cross. Two lengthy statements of more than a verse each. Two lengthy statements said at the cross were prophesied verbatim in Psalm 22. They can count all my bones. He's been clothed on the cross. All these details. We learn Psalm 22. And Jesus pushes up and cries out to God. The first verse of Psalm 22. Indicating, I'm convinced, he was praying Psalm 22 on the cross. That was the passage in the Bible about what he was going through. Now to some degree that's speculation. But we know this for a fact. We know he prayed the first verse, didn't he? We? we know that. 
And then at the end, he pushed up and said, Into your hands I commit my spirit. From Psalm 31. Jesus prayed the Psalms. Then Acts chapter 4. In verse 23, Peter and John have been arrested, threatened, and released. Verse 23, when they had been released, they went to their own companions. They came back to the church and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they, the church, lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. The last half of that verse in your Bible may have in small capital letters a quotation mark showing it's a quotation from the Psalms. Verse 25. Who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The second half of verse 25, all of verse 26, it's from where? Psalm 2. And it says, This is the place where they prayed, and the place was shaken. The early church prayed the Psalms. Jesus prayed the Psalms. Go thou and do likewise. Let's pray now. As the psalmist said, O oh, you who hear prayer, to you all men come. We thank you, Father, that you do hear prayer. We're not just talking to the ceiling. And we are among those who come to you and say, Lord, like the disciples, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray as Jesus prayed. Teach us to pray as the early church prayed, as George Mueller prayed. Teach us to pray, O oh God. I ask that you would cause this church to go forward on its knees, O oh Lord. Become a great church of prayer, comprised of great people of prayer. Who simply open the word of God and talk to you about it. And express the things in their hearts in the words that have come from your own heart. Let there be much lasting fruit from this. I ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.